Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. Good morning, everybody. This is the Grace for This City podcast. I'm your host, Justin. And hey, we are thrilled that you are tuning in today. As always, what an honor and a pleasure it is to be able to do this together with you. And the fact that we've been in 155 nations. Wow, that thrills me. Let's go for all of them, friends. And I'm telling you, you're helping us. How are you helping us? Well, it's because of people just like you, uh, viewers and listeners and partners just like you, you are making this podcast, this broadcast possible. And I say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your prayers and your support. I'm telling you, it's making it happen, friends. And uh, I'm thrilled. Let's get in all the nations. Let's get the word out there. That's what the Lord said. We're not trying to get our name out there. We're trying to get the word out there. That's what sets people free. And listen, another way that we can help get the word out, if you know somebody and they're not all digital or whatever, they don't have a podcast platform that they listen to because they prefer a CD. Well, we got you covered right here. I've got a CD. This is episode 111. This was Mindsets of a Finisher. And I'm telling you, one thing we're, we're doing is we're just getting this to people at no charge. If you know somebody that the best way they could get a hold of the podcast is via this right here, a CD, then we'll mail it to them at no charge. Send us an email at hello at gracecitychurch.tv. Let us know who that special someone is, and we'll get it right out to them. Also, I want to invite you to participate in a project that we've got going on. We're calling it the Studio Project. We have a facility on our property right here, and uh, we believe the Lord has directed us to put some um, studio sets inside of that building. So our vision right now is for three, a interview style. We can sit down and have conversation style. Uh, one of the other sets is what we're calling Equippers Academy or Equippers University. We can produce content to help new believers all the way up two university-level content in that set. And then the third set is an expansion of our podcast studio. If you're watching me right now on YouTube or Facebook, you see our studio here. And this has done excellent. It's been a great studio. It's a little small. We want to expand it a little bit where we can do some more things with some guests. And so if you want to participate in that, I want to just thank you in advance for helping uh, us accomplish that vision. You can go to our website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give and select the studio project in the drop-down menu and uh, help us build out that new studio. Hallelujah, I'm getting excited about it. Listen, we're going to meet the minimum technical requirements to be able to put our content on television at some point, and so we're going to have an equipment upgrade in that. So be praying with us. If you feel led to sow into that, then we thank you in advance. Hallelujah. All right, let's get into this today. I want to talk about the gospel of the glory, the gospel of the glory. Now, we've been in a theme, and we've been talking about the head and the body mystery, and that's based out of Ephesians chapter 5. There, Paul, he just directly says it. He says, I'm not speaking necessarily about husband and wife, but I'm talking about this mystery as it concerns Christ and the church. Well, throughout the New Testament, and even beginning in Genesis of all places, hallelujah, in the book of beginnings, we see something here. We see a head and a body, a mystery, and it all points to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you where we're going to wind up today, and then we'll backtrack and get there. But let me tell you what I'm going to tell you. So here, here it is. There's this uh, amazing arrangement, 
In fact, the Bible overlook is an engagement or a betrothal. Here we have the Heavenly Father. He's revealed to, to us, Creator. He's revealed to us as Heavenly Father. He has a son. His name's Jesus. Jesus is this thing that is known as the head. Well, then there's this new creation that Father has arranged to be eternally united with this son, Jesus. You and I know that new creation as the saints or Christians or the body or the bride, and we're also known as the building. Hallelujah. We are God's building is what the Bible says. And we find out that this new creation has been betrothed or engaged to become the very bride of Jesus. And this mystery weaves these concepts about a head and a body. A body is designed to complement the head. The head's designed to complement the body. We see these, wor- uh, these words throughout the Bible as husband or wife, and they're synonymous with the concept of head and body because the husband is the what? Is the head of the wife. And then we see this other concept associated with this, and it's that the body is the glory of the head or the wife is the glory of of the husband. Now, this is where I want to go today because the the ultimate, the ultimate um, culmination of God's plan is that the totality of the glory of the Godhead would be expressed bodily. That's why you and I are called the bride, the body, and the building. If you look at the Old Testament precedent, wherever the tabernacle and the temple was built, when the building was done, guess what filled it? The glory. That's that's right. And then we see that with the husband and wife, that the body uh, or the wife, it includes the whole family or the household or the whole building, is that mechanism, that creation, that thing that was designed, built, intention with, very, with great intentionality to be the reflection of the glory of the head. So this thing ultimately culminates that the uh, culminates in that the Godhead, come on somebody, needed something, wanted something that was specifically designed to reflect the totality of its glory. And that's you and I, friends. Hallelujah. That's why we've been camped out here on this mystery of the head and the body, because it's all about the glory. So let's jump in into this. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Now, this passage is one of the most controversial passages in the New Testament. There are several, but this is one of them. And, uh, you know, if you read this without using the mystery decipher, okay, using our um, rightly divided uh, scripture, how do we do that? Because all scripture has to harmonize. All scripture harmonizes. Even these, quote, controversial ones, they harmonize together with the greater revelation in the scripture because all prophecy is concerning the testimony of Jesus. It, it is the testimony of Jesus. All these scriptures are speaking about uh, the ultimate relationship we have with Jesus Christ and what his role is in mankind. And so this passage in 1 Corinthians 11, I mean, there's entire churches, entire denominations that built the totality, basically, of their framework on this right here. Women can't have short hair. Uh, men can't cut their hair. Women have to have a head covering. And I'm just going to tell you right now, that is not what this is about. Let me tell you what is what it is about. It is about the mystery of the head and body. And here Paul is using something that was culturally relevant to them because in their culture among the Greeks uh, and the Romans, uh, men were cutting their hair short. There was some cultural things about head coverings that you and I do not have. We do not have these cultural precedences in our culture today. And so we have to 
uh, bring that into the equation and say, well, what was he ultimately talking about? Has nothing to do with whether or not it's appropriate for a woman to have short hair or long hair, whether or not it's appropriate for a guy to have short hair or long hair, whether it's appropriate for somebody like a guy to wear a hat indoors or not, or for a woman to have a head covering or not. That is not the totality of the revelation. Again, he's talking about head body and who's the body of who, who's the head of who. Then he will talk about the glory and which part it reflects the glory and which part, come on, is a recipient of that glory. So here in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, it says, but I want you to know and realize that Christ is the head of every man. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Very interesting. Every body, B-O-D-Y, every B-O-D-Y, every body has a head. Even Jesus here, we find out Jesus has a head. Who's his head? God is the head of Jesus. All right. Who's the head of man? Or we could easily say this too. Who's the head of heads? Like who is the ultimate head? Who, who is the shepherd over under shepherds? Well, here we see that Christ is. And then who is the body of man or who is the head of the wife or the family? We find out that the husband is. All right. Again, you and I as born again folks, we are known throughout the New Testament as the bride of Christ, not sexual. You got to get that sexual stuff out of your mind. People try to pervert this and make it ultimately only about sexuality or the actual, um, you know, intimate acts between a man and a woman or a husband and a wife. And that's not what this is talking about here. Uh, but that is a derivative revelation. The relationship between a man and a woman or a husband and wife specifically is a derivative revelation of the ultimate marriage arrangement between Christ, the head of the church, come on, and that body or his bride, all believers everywhere. So again, we are referred to as the bride of Christ, and we have over us as a head, um, as the bride, our head as the bride of Christ, or our head as the body of Christ, is Jesus himself. Hallelujah. Now, again, it says here, women. Now, whenever you see the word women, you got to look at context here, because in the English translations of the Bible, many times they translate the word historically translated wife, or known as wife, contextually as wife, they usually generically translate it as woman. And so here in this passage, he's not talking about women in general. He's talking about wives, and he's using the relationship a wife has to her husband to reveal, again, what he was talking about in other places, like Ephesians chapter 5, to reveal the ultimate mystery here, and that's Christ is our husband. He is our head. Come on. We are his husbandry. Uh, that's the King James uses that in Corinthians. It's fascinating. This study is absolutely fascinating. Again, not sexual. Get the sexual connotations out of it. That screws everything up. That messes it up. And this is what's going on in our culture today. Everybody's pushing uh, hyper-sexualization, and they can't get anything right. They're totally missing the design th uh, because they're hyper-sexualizing everything. All right, let's get into this. So women, specifically contextually wives, is synonymous with the concept of body. It, I, I mean, once you see it, you'll see it everywhere. Uh, husbands... Uh, some, sometimes it says the man, of course, that word could be referring to mankind in general, which is both male and female. 
um, like 4,000 sometimes in the Old Testament, they translate the word Adam to mean mankind, all right? It wasn't a proper name. It meant something, humankind, of blood. Adam means of blood. Um, but whenever we see the word specifically used for like husband, sometimes they generically translate it as man. The word for wife, sometimes they generically translate it as woman. And so we're not saying that men everywhere or over all women everywhere. That's how a lot of confusion has got in. Sometimes some men think they're over all women, absolutely everywhere, wherever there's a woman is, uh, you know, wherever there's a woman, if there's a man there, he must be over her. <laughs> oh, that's how stuff gets messed up. No, but in defined relationships, there's uh, within the um, uh, within the parameters of any God-defined relationship, here's what you will find. You'll find a head and a body, and you yield to those definitions. You may be the head in one place, doesn't mean you're the head everywhere. You may be the body in one relationship, doesn't mean you're the body everywhere. Now, the Bible says if you're the husband, you're a male. And if you're the husband, you're the head. If you're a wife, you're a female. And if you're a wife, you're the body. Hallelujah, somebody. All right, now, throughout the Bible, and particularly the New Testament, the uh, new believers, the ecclesia, now there's some groups out here that have a hyper definition for the concept of ecclesia and it's getting over into uh, some extremes and some errors. The ecclesia is called out ones from where? They're called out from and into something. What are they called into? They're called into a betrothal covenant relationship. They're called into an engagement. They're called into gathering together as one people to form what? The body of Christ the bride of Christ, and the temple of the Holy Spirit, or that which can contain the glory of its head. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but that's where this is going. And uh, ecclesia is a great term. Now, I know there's some groups that are pushing just the legislative connotations to it. That's included, but that's not the totality. The ultimate totality is what's being told to us right here, that we're the bride of Christ. We're going to be united with him forever to rule and reign with him. Legislation comes in as a concept because we're giving charge over his what? His oikos, his household. Oikos is the same word translated as family or ecosystem or economy. Hallelujah. There's a heavenly economy that you and I are becoming joint heirs in its oversight. All right, now let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians 11.3 from the voice translation. He says, but it's important that you understand this about headship. Right here, we're starting to see the ultimate revelation or the mystery Paul's talking to us about, and it has nothing to do with hair length, absolutely nothing at all to do with hair length. Now, there may be some cultural things that even you and I, we kind of abide by some cultural things, um, you know, that may or may not be, uh, you know, higher revelation. It's just things that we do. They, they may not be wrong, uh, but they may not be the ultimate um, point or object of revelation. This is what's happening here. He's using something very familiar to them in the Greek and Roman cultures that they were embedded in to express a higher revelation. Here's what he's saying. He says, it's very important you understand this about headship. The anointed one is the head of every man. The husband is the head of the wife. God is the head of the anointed. Oh, I like that. He said, understand this about headship. 
you and I know that from Romans chapter 12, there's a grace. Uh, Romans 12, we might call these father's gifts, where Ephesians 4 is Christ's gifts, and then 1 Corinthians 12 would be Holy Spirit's gifts. But here, here in this collection in Romans 12 of these graces, these giftings, one of them is the gift of leadership. Well, if you have been given the gift of leadership, meaning God has defined a particular relationship in your life with a group of people, uh, as you being the leader, what's another way of saying that? That he's positioned you in a place of headship. That's a headship anointing. Leadership is a headship anointing. Leadership is the posture of the head or place of the head. The team then that you're leading would be defined by God as the body of that team. Uh, So there's a head and a body, a leader and those that the head is leading. All right. Now, again, we've discovered that this context is talking about this mystery, this headship anointing. Again, not about head covering. By the way, he's, he's saying here that when a man prays, that he ought not have his head covered. Is that not what it says? Well, what's funny is if you go to Israel right now and you're wanting to go up to the, uh, the prayer wall or the wailing wall or the temple wall, you know, you cannot approach that wall. There's a certain boundary there. You cannot cross that boundary as a man unless you have a hat on. <laughs> uh, so here we read here. And so you got people in the United States and, and in other places that make such a big deal over not wearing hats, you know, uh, indoors or in a church service, say. It has nothing to do with wearing a hat or not wearing a hat. It has everything to do with who's the head of who. And so uh, here they say, well, you know, a woman cannot pray or prophesy unless her head's covered. And so all these denominations uh, who have made extreme deals, I mean, it is a big thing for a woman to not cut her hair. And so every every woman has to have long hair. Like you can't, can't cut it, can't be past the shoulder, can't be up to the ears or whatever. I don't know what the rules are because we don't have that kind of contention or um, unnecessary, you know, uh, regulations at our church. But what he's saying is, is that the head covering represented this woman's submission to who her head was. The man not having his head covered represented his submission to who his head was. What I'm saying is, though, people want to make a deal about this here in, in the United States. And I'm telling you, you can't even go pray at the prayer wall if you're a guy and not have a hat on. Do you see the contradiction here? Because it's not about that. It has nothing. It, it never was about that. It never will be about that. It's all about is, are we ultimately submitted to our heads wherever the head is in these defined relationships in our life? Hallelujah. Again, as Paul does, whenever he talks about this, and in several places throughout the New Testament, he talks about this, he's talking about his primary message. And that's the mystery concerning Jesus as the head of his bride or the body, which is the ecclesia. Again, wherever Paul talks about this, he recognizes that God hid this mystery in plain sight. And specifically, uh, he is he embedded it in the covenantal marriage between a man and a woman or a husband and his wife. The husband who in the marriage is anointed and called to represent the headship of Jesus and the wife in the excuse me, covenant marriage is anointed and called to represent the body of Jesus Christ. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. Here we want to move on now to the glory. Now he's going to bring in the glory. He talked about headship, 
Talked about the head and the body. Now he's going to talk about the glory. And he says this in verse 7. For man indeed ought not to cover his head. Why? Because he is the image and the what? And the glory of God. But woman, uh, a.k.a. what? Wife, specifically wife. What else? Specifically body. But body is the glory of who? Here he says man or a.k.a. husband. Several translations actually translate that word husband because that is the context. Or we know from our decipher here, the mystery, he's talking about what? The head and the body. Right here he says it. I mean, we jump in right here. He's saying that the body is the reflection or the glory of its head. Man is covered by his headship. Therefore, man is the glory of God. Woman, wife, wife is covered by her head, the husband. Therefore, she is the what? She is the glory of her husband. The body, we find out here, is that unique created element that is the recipient of the glory of its headship. The body uh, being um, you know, reflected in the relationship uh, between husband and wife, the body is the beneficiary of the honor that the head might receive. As the head goes, come on, so goes the body. Any promotion the head receives, the body becomes the what? The direct inheritor, come on, or the what? The joint heir of everything that is bestowed upon the head. The head goes first, always goes first. But like when uh, the father raised Jesus, when he raised the head, who did he raise with him? He raised us up together with him. Why? Because we're the bride. We're the body. You see, you see the mystery? Now look at this in Hebrews uh, 1, 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Absolutely fascinating uh, passage of Scripture here. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn there because we might want to read just a little bit more. Um, but in Hebrews chapter 1, yeah, let's start at verse 1. He says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past um, to us by the prophets. That's what he's saying here. In times past, you and I would know this categorically, maybe it's Old Testament times, uh, maybe through first covenant. He spoke to us via the prophets. But now he says in verse two, but in the last days, but in the last days, okay, what are the last days? This is after Pentecost when the spirit was poured out. Uh, Peter stands up. And he acknowledges what Joel prophesied, that the Spirit would be poured out in what? In the last days. What are the last days? The last two days, last 2,000 years of God's timetable. We have a seven-day, 7,000-year timetable revealed to us via the Scriptures. The last days are day five and six. All right? The, five, you know, uh, the last 2,000 two, two years are day five and six. So he says, but in these last days, after the Spirit was poured out, after Jesus came, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. That's a reference to what you and I know as John chapter one, who being, watch this, verse three. So he's talking about uh, his son, Jesus, is what? He is the brightness of his, come on, the brightness of his glory and the what? The express image of, of his person. Now, Jesus said, he said, if you have seen me, you have what? Seen the Father. Well, how is that true? Because Jesus is the image of the Father bodily. 
John chapter 1. Let's go to John chapter 1. Oh, come on. The Godhead. It's not good that the Godhead be alone. Come on, somebody. It's not good that Jesus should be alone. Come on, it's not good that man should be alone. You see, you see the progression of thought here? You see the pattern, the precedent of revelation? You see the mystery unfolding? It's not good that the Godhead should be alone. Well, what does a, what does a head need? What does a head need? The head needs a body. So Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, why is, how, how does that work? Because he took upon what? A body. He took upon flesh. And he became the brightness of the glory. The body is the recipient of the glory of its head. Jesus became the brightness of the glory of the Father. Ephesians chapter 1, 17, 18. The what? It says this, that the Father of glory, the Father of glory. Well, that glory needed a body. Hallelujah. All right, John chapter 1. And, you know, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, he who, he the Word, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Him who? Him the Word. And without the Word, nothing was made that was made. In him, in the Word, was life, Zoe. Come on, somebody. And the Zoe was the development or the light or the glory of men. You're, you're starting to get it now. Hallelujah. And the light or the glory shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overwhelm it, take control of it, dominate it, subdue it. It cannot comprehend it. It cannot rise above it. Come on, the light dominates everything. Now it says this over here in verse 14, John 1, 14. And the word, come on, what? Became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here we see again that this principle is continually being expressed wherever, wherever we see the revelation of head and body. The body is the mirror or the reflection of whatever is happening in the head. Unfortunately, right now in this fallen world, this can work both ways, meaning headship can either be a uh, wonderful experience for a body or a deranged, delusional head can cause great harm even to the very members of its own body. And you see this in a marriage relationship. you got some joker that does not care. He has a very low self-image. Uh, you know, he's got problems, wounds, traumas, all right? You can see that reflected in how he cares for his wife, how he cares for his children. You know, I was working with this guy recently, and it was obvious there was some, you know, some real delusion. Uh, there were some demonic things going on. And uh, this is not only leading him to cause his own physical body great harm because he's putting in substances into his body that he ought not, but that is being reflected in his family. I mean, to the point where he doesn't have one now. Like, uh, there's a divorce. Why? Because of his own self-hatred. He's not able to extend any kind of care or concern. Uh, he's not able to, to, to be the husband or the leader of his home, and his body was suffering un under that. His wife and his children were suffering as the body under that. This is a real situation. And Ephesians 5, this is what Ephesians 5 says. Jesus told the head, he said, I want you to sacrificially uh, love your 
uh, wife or your body. And it throws this thought in here. For no man ever hated his own body, but uh, nourishes and cherishes it. <laughs> well, not everybody really does. I mean, Jesus laid out the, the uh, or the Holy Spirit through Paul laid out the revelation as it should be is a man should not think more highly of himself than he ought, but he ought to think high enough about himself to take care of himself, take care of his physical body, take care of his physical temple, because everything that he does to himself, uh, having that uh, appropriate esteem, having that appropriate image of himself, then that reflects into how he takes care of his wife and children. You see any husband that has uh, just uh, inappropriate, um, you know, we're not throwing everybody under the bus here because we're all learning and growing. But I'm saying if you see a husband that is not doing at least the basics in regards to his wife and family, num- number one, number one, number one, is there's an internal image or a low esteem that he has about himself. He's hating himself, and therefore that hatred about himself is being reflected in how he takes care of his family. And so we need to heal, bring some healing to his own internal self-image, uh, you know, straighten out his own uh, garbage in his own heart, uh, really before he could take appropriate leadership over his own family because it's a reflection. The family is a reflection of what's, of the light uh, uh, going on inside of the head. This is the mystery. Like I said, right now, because of the fallen world, this kind of works both ways. You get somebody that's doing a fine job. Uh, they're healed. They're strong. They have a, a good, solid relationship with Jesus. They're getting that, that nurture and care and concern, and, and they're getting built up from their head or their leaders. Then you'll see that reflected as a positive and healthy um, leadership paradigm in his own family. Another reason why, another reason why one of the qualifications for elders is that if a man couldn't rule his own family well, he's not qualified to be any kind of leader, elder, steward, deacon, whatever these words that you want to translate. Uh, that was one, one of the qualifications. Look at his family. Look how he leads his family. If he leads his family well, then he, then he qualifies to lead the family of God. All right, so let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, we'll, we'll look at verse 3. So we're talking about the gospel of the glory, all right? The gospel of the glory. And the ultimate fulfillment, culmination of all this, is when Jesus takes his bride, his body, the temple unto himself. Hallelujah. Look at this. Verse 4, verse 3. Verse 3. 2 Corinthians 4, 3. Um, it says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest, watch this, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Right there you see it, the mystery. Paul called it a mystery of Christ in the church in Ephesians 5, but all these scriptures in harmony. The mystery of Christ in the church is the gospel of the glory. Our gospel Someone says, you know, hey, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? What is that gospel? What is that gospel? Some people say that our gospel right now is the one in Matthew 25. I, have, I, I, I would counter that and say, no, that's not the gospel, our gospel, because that has to do with the, the good news that's going to go out through 
the tribulation period, the seven years of judgment, uh, specifically for the nations, Jacob's trouble, which is for Israel, Jacob, the Jews. Uh, the bride isn't even there. So what is our gospel? If it's not the gospel that, hey, in seven years, this thing's going to get wrapped up, hold on because the king's coming. That's the gospel of the kingdom. But our gospel is what? It's an invitation to become the bride, the body, and the temple of the Holy Spirit, to become that which reflects the glory of the Godhead. So when, when we're going around saying, hey, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? What are people really signing up for? They're saying yes uh, to his, his invitation, uh, his engagement invitation. Jesus says, in effect, all right, will you marry me? Hallelujah. That's what he's saying. When somebody says, I want to know Jesus as my Savior, then he is the kinsman redeemer. He, he is, he's literally, he is betrothing himself to you and I. To what? To be his bride. Hallelujah. That is the gospel of the glory. That is our current gospel. What is the Romans road? It's to confess that we have need of a, of a redeemer, somebody that will take upon a headship role in our life because we're destitute without him. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we thank you for it. Uh, 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 again, excuse me, stuttering there. Our gospel is the invitation to become part of the body of Christ, to be his helper, his bride, in order to rule and reign for eternity upon eternity with him. Look at this in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, if you got your Bible. And uh, look at verse 9. It says, for in him, in him, of course, referring to Jesus, watch this, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. New King James, if you have a New King James, what's that very last word? In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead. Come on, what? Bodily. He is the express image of the Father. Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen him. He's the brightness of his glory. How? How? I mean, like literally, well, let's say legally. How? Because he took up on a body. He took upon a body. He became the body, come on, of the Heavenly Father. The Amplified Classic says this, Colossians 2.9 in the Amplified Classic, it says, for in him the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. That's expressed where? Bodily. Who are you? The what? The body of Christ. Hallelujah. Who's the glory of the husband? <laughs> the wife is. The glory dwells bodily. It needs a bodily expression. The voice translation says this, you see, all that is God, all his fullness resides in a body. Oh, hallelujah. The New Reader's Version says this, God's whole nature is living in Christ in human form, human form. Look at the God's word translation. It reads like this. All of God lives in Christ's body. Hallelujah. Oh, I think you're getting it, friends. The fullness dwells where? Bodily. Where's the glory reflected? How, how, how do you recognize? How do you see the glory? Because it's got to be reflected in the mirror of the body. Let, let me throw this in there. This is a recap from some previous weeks, but I don't want to overlook this because it fits really good right here. Um, but in Genesis chapter 2, 18, 
let me see, I think it's verse 18, it's in Genesis 2. Yeah, it says here, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man, ultimately derivative, the ultimate mystery was what? The Godhead said, it's not good that Jesus should be alone. And so the heavenly father, he went out and he set this up and he betrothed his son to a bride. Who is that bride? That's right, that's you and me if we know Jesus Christ. But here he says, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make, New King James, I will make a helper comparable. Helper comparable. The Hebrew phrase uh, is, you know, there's a couple Hebrew words there. But the Hebrew word comparable literally means face-to-face. It literally means mirror or opposite. Opposite but face-to-face. So that would be like a mirror image. Who is that mirror image? The mirror image was designed to reflect the glory of whatever was peering into it. The body of Jesus is that face-to-face counterpart that is equal but distinct, equal but opposite. It is a mirror, and when people look at the body, who are they seeing? Just like when people looked upon Jesus, who did they see? They saw the glory of the Father. Well, when people look upon the bride, who do they see? They see the glory of the husband. They see the glory of the head. Who is that? Jesus. That's right. All the totality of his fullness is going to be reflected bodily. All right, let's go to Ephesians 5.30. Ephesians 5.30, it says, uh, we are members of his body. If you're born again, if you're not born again, you're not members of his body. If you are not born again, you are not betrothed to him. If you are not born again, you are not engaged to him. Not sexual, but if you're not born again, there's no place for you. You are not members of him. Notice what it says here. But if you are born again, then you are, come on, of his flesh and of his bones. Remember back in Genesis 2, God caused a great sleep to come upon Adam. And he took woman from man and presented her back to man. What did Adam say when he saw later we, um, uh, she became known as Eve? But the first thing he said was, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. You know, that's what Jesus is saying about this body, about this bride that you and I are. You know what he's saying about his, his ecclesia? <laughs> bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Hallelujah. Forever to be united with him. Forever. Come on, somebody. Forever to be united with Jesus. Now, we uh, are engaged. We are betrothed to him. And uh, the full consummation of our covenantal um, union is yet. We have a down payment, though. We have an engagement promise. That promise is Holy Spirit. How do you know that he's coming back for you? Because you are born again, because you have the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. And uh, one way you know that you've passed from death into life is because of the love for the brethren. Several ways you can know if you have truly received his promise to come back for you. Um. Another way that we still know that this has not been fully consummated yet, it's going to be here real soon, friends, is because we still have bodies of mortality. One of the uh, one one part of the total consummation of this thing is that you and I will get a glorified body. We are still in a body of mortality. 
the inside has been born again. The outside has not been uh, transfigured yet. The inside has been. The outside has not. Uh, but yet we are still betrothed to Christ Jesus. He is currently our bridegroom. And one of these days here real soon, he's coming back for us. Again, the full consummation comes upon our rapture, harpazo, where he catches us away. Uh, the spirit and the bride say what? Come, Lord. Hallelujah. When he comes to uh, uh, rapture us, harpazo is the Greek word. Uh, he comes to get us. Then we enter into, while the seven years of tribulation is going on on the earth, you and I are going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19. In the meantime, we are, according to the Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, we are to hold fast our confession. Uh, Hebrews 3, 6 says, hold fast our confidence and our rejoicing uh, of the hope firm to the end, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Again, in the meantime, while Jesus is away, you and I are maintaining our commitment to our engagement. We're not two-timing on him. We're not sleeping around. Come on, we're not sowing wild oats, whatever. <laughs> Hallelujah. We are chased unto him. Look at this in 2 Corinthians eleven two. Here's what Paul says. He says, I'm jealous for you as a, uh, with a godly jealousy, as a steward, as a shepherd, uh, as a watchman. Um, he is uh, uh, jealous for us with a godly jealousy, Notice what he says, for I have betrothed you to one husband. He's talking about the new creation, Christ Jesus. Paul's talking about these spiritual children that he had. He brought them to Christ. He was their spiritual father of sorts. He says, I'm jealous for you. And he said, my responsibility as a shepherd, come on, as an overseer, as an apostle, come on, pastor, teacher, whatever, my responsibility in God's eyes for you is to what? Is to present you a chaste virgin to Christ Jesus. Come on, we're not hustling. We're not prostituting ourselves. We're not sleeping around on him. We're engaged to him, and we will be presented a pure, spotless, chaste, come on, virgin to our husband, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to read something to you that's quite fascinating. In our culture today, boy, we don't practice this. It, it might help us a little bit if we brought in a few of these principles once we begin to see the life of them and the spirit of them. Not, not legalistic, but there's a lot of amazing truth in something that the, um, uh, the old Jewish culture, you know, um, maybe the ancient Jews, historical Jews practice. Some of them still do today. Even some of the uh, Orthodox, or we might say even some of the modern uh, uh, Jews still practice or bring a lot of the symbolism in. But there was this, um, this historical engagement uh, that they called betrothal. And one fascinating element of what they practiced was that during the betrothal period, the bridegroom would typically go back to his father's oikos, okay, his father's house, and prepare a place. Remember that? Jesus said, I've got to go. I'm returning to the father, but I go to prepare a place for you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. They would call this place, this literal home, this house, they would call it a, a huppa. Uh, many times in the ancient culture, it was a literal house that this uh, young man would build. In today's Jewish culture, many of them still bring the symbolism in, uh, in their wedding ceremonies, and they put like this canopy up, and they call this canopy a huppa. And it symbolizes the home or the life that this newly wed couple would build together uh, after their 
uh, wedding ceremony. But in the ancient culture, this young man would literally go back to his father's estate and would build a house. And while the groom was busy preparing the home into which he would bring back his wife into, uh, the bride would be getting herself ready. Beautification rituals, preparing wedding garments, typically white. Uh, even they would do what uh, ceremonial baths, mikvahs, uh, both the groom and the wife would uh, uh, separately, of course, but they would do these ceremonial baths. You know, Ephesians 5, the washing with the water of the word, that's what that mikvah symbolized. And while the uh, bride was doing her thing, the groom would be building this house, and the father of the groom, he would watch over the building of the house. And as soon as the father was satisfied that everything was ready for the incoming bride, he would tell his son that it was time to go and get his bride. Only the father knew the moment of readiness. What does that sound like? Remember when they asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, what about your return? And he says, hey, uh, only the father knows, not even the son or the angels in heaven. Why? Because historically it's revealed. <laughs> uh, you know, why did the Jews practice this? Because the Jews were God's chosen people to reveal himself. And that's why they had so, so many of these um, customs, because God specifically chose them to reveal himself. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm so glad that he did. And I'm so glad they yielded to it. You and I, we fight against this. Oh, now these customs, these customs, the laws, the rules, the legalism. Well, praise God that, that he had a people that yielded themselves to his plan so that you and I could get an idea of what he's doing. But here the father would watch over this. And Jesus even said, I don't even know. Why doesn't he know? Because father chose uh, to do it this way. You and I see what's happening uh, through the customs here that the Jews practiced. But uh, only the Father knows, Jesus said. And I'm telling you, as soon as the place is ready for us, Jesus is coming back for us. Hallelujah. The son would then go, after his father said it was time, the father would then go get his bride, and then guess what? He would present her to the father. What is that? What does that sound like? It sounds like the book of Ephesians shows us that. When the first thing that's going to happen to us, we're going to be presented to the father. The bride, or excuse me, the groom would then take his bride into the hapa, and consummate the marriage that had been covenanted earlier, maybe even years earlier. After the marriage was consummated, the, bro- the groom would announce, to the, uh, would announce the consummation to the other members of the marriage ceremony outside the chamber. That would be symbolically found in John 3.29. Upon receiving the good news, the wedding guests would feast and make merry for what? Seven days. Hallelujah. Again, Revelation 19, we know this as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, we believe that that takes place right after the rapture. Uh, the rapture happens before the seven-year tribulation period. While we're in heaven as the bride, there's a celebration going on there. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then when we return with Christ after the seven-year period happening down on the earth, our first act totally consummated and united with him Literally, physically, locationally, geographically, we are united with him with a brand new body, a body like his, total consummation of this uh, promise of union with his bride, his body, his temple. Our first act of reigning together with him in this total consummation. Now, we're, we can rule and reign with him now, but we do it via the spirit. We're not locationally, geographically, physically bodily with him because we have a body of mortality. But then when we return, 
when he steps foot or sets his foot down on the Mount of Olives to bring the final judgment there to the nations and what's what's going on right after the end of the tribulation period, our first ruling and reigning act with him is right there. Hallelujah. We'll be married to him. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. We'll be united together with him bodily. Uh, look at this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Who set this up? Who arranged this? Typically, it was the fathers. Who arranged this? For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where in the face of Jesus Christ. Who set this up? Who arranged this marriage? Oh, man, you want to get people hackling and uh, foaming at the mouth and barking like dogs and exhibiting their demons, you, <laughs> you, you tell them that the father of Jesus arranged this marriage. Oh, man, people hate that. People hate that. Uh, you know, and you, you, you and I don't have to necessarily practice that. But I'm so thankful that the heavenly father did. He was the first father to arrange uh, a marriage for his son. And who was the intended object of that arrangement? You and I were. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, you, you just go out here in society and you talk about arranged marriage and you'll see some people freak out. Again, I'm not saying that we have to practice that because the ultimate revelation here is what God did. Okay. And, uh, you know, you got some fathers trying to flex their muzzles and probably set their kids up with some real losers. But I'm saying, again, that that wasn't to be law forever the ultimate reason why they yielded to the Father's design and plan is so it would speak to the ultimate arrangement that Father did for Jesus, and that had you and I in mind. It Right here, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it's God. It's revealed that it was God who arranged this marriage. It was God who decided that the light of the glory of God be seen in the reflection of Jesus and his body or his bride. Look at verse 7, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure where? in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We have his promise of this arrangement by the way of the Holy Spirit in us, giving us confidence that we will shortly be united with our very own glorified body and of his lordship and headship, Jesus. Now go to verse 16, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17 for our light affliction, what is our light affliction? It's our life in this mortal body. That's our light affliction. Listen, we're born again on the inside. Zoe life is, is, is on the inside of us. We have the light of God on the inside of us right now. But our light affliction is having to deal with this body of mortality. And he says, our outward man's perishing. That's mortality, the body of flesh, the body of mortality. Yet our inward man's being renewed day by day. He says, don't lose heart, friends. For this affliction, having to live in this mortal body, is but for a moment and is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Listen, our moment separated from him. We have his engagement promise. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And we are yearning, the spirit and the bride. Man, we are yearning. Come, come, Lord Jesus. Come get us. We're ready. Hallelujah. We're lovesick for you. Come for us. Well, this momentary separation is a light affliction. Verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, 
but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Hang on, friends. Jesus is coming back for us. And he's going to rapture his bride right on out of here. Hallelujah. Listen, so what is our gospel? You go tell everybody right now. You go tell everybody. You go share the invitation with them to become the bride, the body, and the temple of the Holy Spirit. That which is designed, created specifically, to be the only thing that complements headship, our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, absolutely phenomenal. Hey, I got, I, uh, hallelujah. I hope you got something out of that. I hope that blessed you today. So listen, friends, you and I, between now and then, we live pure. Stop two-timing him. Stop sleeping around on him. Stop being an adulterer with the world, being friends with the world, just indulging in things of the world is being an adulterer against your covenant of betrothal with Jesus. So stop doing that, friends. And what we can do right now is we can repent of that and say, thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus. I receive my cleansing right now. And then get under that word. That word will wash you. That word will cleanse you. That word will prepare you. Remember Revelation 19, it says, for the bride has made herself ready. How do you make yourself ready? You get under the word. You be cleansed by his word. You let that word work on you. Hallelujah, friends. Do not delay except Jesus today and be a part of the greatest thing that will ever happen in our lifetime. In the lifetime of the earth. Hallelujah. It's the greatest redemption plan ever. Oh, we thank the Lord for it. Well, I hope this has blessed you. Listen, if we can pray for you, reach out to us. Give us a call, 870-741-9099. Leave a message. Somebody get right back with you. Or send us an email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv. We'll send it out to our prayer teams, and they'll start agreeing with you right away, friends. Listen, you're not alone. We're here to help. Hallelujah. And, and others. Maybe you got somebody close by. But if not, call us. Reach out to us. We'll join together our faith with yours. Again, I want to say thank you so much for partnering with us. Uh, pray about being a part of the studio project. Help us get into all the nations on the face of this earth. Thank you so much, friends. And until next time, be blessed. <laughs>